My name is Jaron Thick, of Alderaan that was. I never listened to Order 66, for it was responsible for the murder of my master and the destruction of all that I hold dear. You're right, M8. She's found us. Goodbye, my friends. May the Force be with you, always. Hi, this is Oscar Gatan. Our name is William, Oscar Town Informs. And I never listen to the Order 66 podcast because I'm too busy working hard to earn the money to kickstart all the Gamer Nation Studios projects. I mean, Mission Wars, Eons, Eons Expansion, Hauler coming out. Ah, guys are taking all my money. Yeah, we are. <laughs> D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Broadcast live on D20 Radio's Justin TV channel. You're listening to the Order 66 podcast. Brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and mapsofmastery.com. Salutations, today is Monday, today is Monday, December the 9th, 2013, and you're back for episode 23 of the Order 66 podcast. This is GM Day. That's disturbing. It is a little bit, isn't it? I don't like that voice, it disturbs me. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's kind of a creepy android kind of thing, I don't know what, I don't know what really happened there, but anyway... Whatever. I'm GM Dave. That's GM Chris, and you're back for episode 23 of the Order 66 podcast on an icy on an icy cold day in Dallas, and apparently the Cowboys were playing Chicago. And once again, I don't care. <laughs> oh, what is up, Gamer Nation? For those who may be tuning in for the very first time, this is the Order 66 podcast, the uh, original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars role playing, and we have a lengthy show coming to you. Um, as we are boxed in by an ice storm that is affecting everything, including our connectivity, which is laughable to some of our listeners, I'm sure, but we just don't get this kind of crap down here in Texas, ever. Yeah, so, really. Like, it's, w- been, it's been since the uh, Super Bowl here in Dallas, since we've had any real ice like this. And, um, dude, yeah, it, like um, I saw I saw a map of the United States on Facebook the other day that had a big white spot over Texas that just said closed. <laughs> really? It's kind of funny. Oh, man. I just, like, we get, we get like an inch of ice down here and power shuts down, internet connectivity fails. Like, when it really hit on Friday, I was without internet all day uh, and cable all day. And I had friends of mine that were without power for two days. It's just, it, it's crazy. Yeah, I know, and it, it you know, and I, hey, you know what? There's, there's, uh, I'm not even gonna try and say like psycho cider drunk Gordian or something like that. It's talking about man, pulling the Manitoba card. That's fine. You guys are prepared for that kind of stuff. Yes. You know, we are are dreadfully not. I, 
at the time at the height of this, I, I went out to my wife's car to try and clear her windshield. And there, when when I when I got through the ice, I measured four inches of ice on her car. Ice, not snow. Ice, ice. It it's weird. People down here don't even own ice scrapers half the time. It's yeah. you don't need them. So when it happens, we are just woefully unprepared. You guys have things like 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 snow shovels. We don't own those here. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. Something like that, yep. Well, what do you say we uh, get into this nonsense? Okay, sure. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. Announcements. What do we got going on, man? Uh, yes. Okay. So, feature podcast this week, and uh, I can say, don't you love the smell of a box set in the morning? There's nothing better than the smell of a good box set. I know it. I know it. Uh, when you get in the mood for old school box set D and D, where do you turn? Well, guess what, guys? You know what? You go to the Save or Die podcast, which. I had no idea. I just haven't kept up with Save or Die, but they've released episode 83 recently. Hell yeah. Ghouls just want to have fun, and they just want to, yeah. So the four DMs, that would be Mike, Liz, Glenn, and Jim, delve into a new Chronicles of Amherst uh, supplement by Peter Spahn. Ghoul Keep and Ghoul Lands. It's a fun show for the fans of the true classics. And for this guy and lots of other great podcasts, head over to www.d20radio.com. Ah, yes. And juicy bits of web goodness. From the keyboard of the inestimable Sterling Hershey, as we check in with the Star Wars gaming font that is the man, the legend, uh, looking over his shoulder at his most recent entry in his weekly Star Wars Wednesdays blog, We find a fun retrospective this week uh, from Sterling's mind on Star Wars Insider. Uh, You know, I've got got issues on my shelf. Um, But, uh, you know, he talks about what's in some of the latest issues, sure. But also just a really cool retrospective on the magazine, how it's changed, and and really what it's contributed to Star Wars fandom since the early 90s. Um, Really great read. But you guys can find that um, and more at www.sterlinghershey.com. And from the FFG News Department. You know what? I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm just saying. And I know Zoe's in chat, so she's going to take it back, and then Steve's going to send me a brick in the mail. But um, FFG needs to start paying us for ideas. I'm just word, saying. word, yo, word. All right. Recently released uh, and a very awesome article. How did we get into this mess on the forthcoming Suns? Of Fortune, Karelian Sector Sourcebook, details a new feature in the book, Modular Encounters. Does that ring a bell? Just a, a bell or two, yes. The book will contain nine set pieces that can serve as ready-made encounters for direct insertion into your games. That's pretty cool stuff, if we could say so ourselves. 
<laughs> yep. Uh, and in case you hadn't heard, by the way, Enter the Unknown, the uh, Explorer sports uh, sports book. What the? See, I've got football on the brain. The Explorer source book is live and available for purchase at your local FLGS or... I'm not going to say that. At your local FLGS. Oh, oh, you're leaving the online retailers in the cold? I am, because go see your FLGS. FES, support your FLGS, peoples. Yes. What, what? Yes, and oh yeah, and by the way, yeah, we will have an episode to dig into it, so, you know, hold on to your britches there. (laughs) Find these articles and announcements right now at www.fantasyflightgames.com. And now we look to our sister blog, the Gaming Security Agency, the devilish Sith holocron to D20 Radio's hunger for forbidden knowledge, which continues to be the best and most prolific place to get articles, NPCs, and fan-generated content for the Edge of the Empire. And this week we are proud to announce a new, that's version 3.0, unofficial species menagerie. This is a project, man, that started back in the days of the Edge of the Empire beta as really a labor of love for Donovan Morningfire and Ben Erickson, uh, Cyril on our forums, agents 94 and 66. And yes. it was revamped and brought into a stunning design format by our very own Jaeger Grita um, and contributed to in total by seven authors, um, all of whom are strong members of, of both the D20 Radio and FFG forum communities. Um, the current menagerie gives stats to nearly 60 species in the Star Wars galaxy that are not covered in the books. They are well-designed, balanced, and brilliant. Uh, this latest version of the Menagerie is available in both low- and high-res versions. Way to go, guys. Brilliant work. Um, you can find it right now and a heck of a whole lot more at gsa.thegamernation.org. Go check it out. I'm going to laugh my ass off if something comes up in a core rulebook somewhere and matches the unofficial species menagerie. <laughs> it's all fan know. content. What? What? I know. I know, dude. It's awesome. Yeah, good work, fellas. It's uh, it's just fantastic work. And at least Donovan, I know, will be at Gamer Nation Con. So, um, yeah. Uh, and speaking of that, oh, by the way, Gamer Nation Con cometh. And uh, you guys can find... GamerNationCon.com, a couple of things have happened this week. One, you can now register on the site and get your name and all that jazz and whatever. We just, you know, we wanted to keep the spam bots away, so we had no registrations enabled on the site until this week. Now you can also submit events. Yes. Uh, Event submission is open. Event and we, we're not doing the whole Gen Con, oh, hey, submit events for a month, and then, hey, sign up now. No, just go go sign up. Just, you know, submit your event. If we like it, we'll approve it, which is probably all of them. And, you know, and then and then sign up. Get a little ticket thingy and say, hey, yeah, I'm going to play. I'm going to play this thing. I'm going to be a playtesting hauler like mad. We're going to have an Eons world championship that we've only got what 15 uh, 25 seats for and then mm-hmm. we'll call it from there um we've got what else I mean, we're, we'll have some rpg events that are going to be uh, added here very shortly and as soon as yeah. i get the write-ups done for them yep yeah. yeah we've just got man got lots of good stuff coming around the corner and we are down to only about 50 spots left for the convention. 
And Ooh. we are selling those tickets at a pretty decent pace, considering it's still four months away. I know, I know. God, head to GamerNationCon.com, guys, to get the details. We'd love to have you out. Um, meet guest of honor Jay Little. Um, and us, we would love to see you. It's going to be uh, three days of utter awesome. So, yay! Three days of gaming goodness, right? Three dog. Three dog. Three dibble, three three dog. Three days of gaming goodness. Yeah. Time for the social media plug. Of course, guys, stay in the know by following D20 Radio on the Facebooks for news and podcast info on a daily basis. Uh, you can also follow the GMs on Twitter. I'm at GM Dave. <laughs> I'm at GM Chris. <laughs> we post and tweet show info and announcements regularly, so be sure to follow us and uh, join the uh, many listeners that are in Echo Base right now, watching this simulcast live and chatting with each other and making sorted right. comments about various hosts that I'm not going to comment on. Screw you guys. Over 400 people are in chat live right now. Is that true? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> we haven't had 400 people in chat since the first time that Sam and Rodney were on the show at the same time. That was that was that was huge. We had a lot a lot of cross pollination in that. Yeah. <laughs> Duh bears. Duh bears. Duh bears. All right. Well, it is time to bust down into uh, the most fan and developer loved segment on the show, the Skill Monkey. <laughs> Monkey. Skill checks are one of the most narratively creative elements in FFG's Star Wars system. They represent opportunities for players and GMs to work together to create the kind of stories and adventures that become epic and cinematic. At least, they can be epic and cinematic if you think creatively about the dice results. Let me show you what I mean. Most of the time, the skill monkey leads a pretty soft life. Things go smoothly, and the skill monkey is often allowed to bask in the glow of his success without much thought of the consequences. Parties are had, women are adored, drinks are consumed, and all is right with the world. That's usually about the time the GM decides the skill monkey has had it too easy and decides to take matters into her own hands. Which is why I am currently running from a group of bounty hunters who seem to have the mistaken impression that the skill monkey dumped a load of spice belonging to someone else. I have no idea where they got that impression. Departing from normal skill monkey procedure, which you may have noticed is something I like to do occasionally, rather than tell you how to run away, I'm going to show you how to use a variety of skills in unusual ways to make running away more than just a simple physical activity and something more akin to a cinematic and fun encounter for everyone involved. Athletics is the obvious go-to choice here. Almost any physical activity comes down to athletics at some point. You could make athletics checks just to see if you run well, but athletics also allows you the opportunity to outlast your opponent as well. Imagine if you could just flat out run farther than those bounty hunters, to the point where you leave them panting in the dust far behind you as you fade off into the sunset, feet pounding. Or maybe you run down a side street with overhanging balconies or fire escapes. An athletic jump check can get you up to them and away across the rooftops, as could climbing. Want to put a river between you and them? Athletics is your man. Dive in and swim for it. Athletics is the easy choice for making a getaway. Charm has a use here as well. 
Round a corner, find the closest pretty girl, and plant those lips on her like you're about to get engaged. You've seen it all the time in the movies. If you're charming enough, she won't protest. At least not right away. While you're locked in the embrace, those bounty hunters can just run right on by because obviously no one would be foolish enough to not run away. Too subtle for the likes of you? Well, feel free to try charming the bounty hunters into believing that you aren't who they want to chase anyway. No way could an individual as charming as you are be accused of doing something illegal. Clearly, there must be some mistake. They probably need to go check again with their employer to make sure they don't screw up. That's the ticket. Coercion seems another obvious choice. If you are a beefy, bulky character, or have a sufficiently violent reputation, or are simply more heavily armed, a coercion check can be used to convince the pursuing bounty hunters that you are about to become much more trouble than any price on your head could possibly be worth. Threatening more violence in the face of their violence may be enough to send them packing. It is the Chicago way, after all. Program on the fly and break out your data pad to put your computer's skill to work. Hack the system, find the contract, and change the description of the quarry. Or even better, cancel the contract entirely. Or put out a bulletin announcing a much more lucrative contract on someone else in the area. Bounty hunters are all about the credits. If a better target presents itself, they are quite likely to take it. Even better, see if you can't issue a contract on one of the bounty hunters chasing you and watch chaos ensue as the others suddenly try to collect it. One thing the skill monkey learned at a young age was that people who ran away were almost always guilty of something. Instead, he kept his cool and avoided a lot of trouble. Even trouble he was actually responsible for. So put your cool to use, perhaps by having a calm, rational discussion with your pursuers. This works better at the front of the chase than it does in the middle, perhaps. But even then, how likely would you be to shoot a guy who, when you come around the corner after him, is casually leaning against the wall, smiling at you? As far as the skill monkey is concerned, that is when you start diving for cover before the incoming sniper rounds arrive. Whether there are actual snipers or not, is another matter entirely. Want to tightrope your way across a narrow ledge or clothesline or up a support cable or down a log across a gap? Maybe you just need to drop down a few stories to a landing below, or perhaps you need to make your way through a pipe or narrow tunnel to effect an escape. Your coordination skill makes this possible. Combine it with an athletics check, and pretty soon you are Jackie Channing your way out of trouble. Deception lets you leave a false trail that leads your pursuers away from you, or perhaps even into a trap your crew has cleverly laid for them. You can even distract them using deception, perhaps by the tried and true trick of looking over their shoulder, pointing and screaming, Look! Godzilla! Then running off while they look around wondering what the hell a Godzilla is and if they should be worried. Anything you can do to make them lose track of you will likely come under deception. Discipline can help you deal with the panic that comes from being chased by the galaxy's best hunters. Especially if it helps you remain focused enough to recall how sensitive jetpacks are to unexpected strikes. Even more so, it can help you mentally deal with any threats or taunts the bounty hunters might make so that you don't stop and try to face off with them with nothing more than a bent hydro spanner at your disposal. Don't fall victim to their attempts to goad you into foolish actions that you will regret later while you are in their holding cell. Remain disciplined! If you find yourself in a crowd, say in some busy market on a desert planet, 
Call on your leadership skill to influence the crowd in your favor. The more susceptible among them can block their progress or confuse the situation or perhaps even take the fight to the bounty hunters on your behalf. With Comlink in hand, leadership can be used to bring any allies you might have to your aid, prepared to do whatever they can to help you escape. How fast can you rig a blaster to overload or prep a more conventional explosive? Mechanics will let you do that. Mechanics might be able to tell you that a fast jury rig of the speeder bike can send it careening into the hunters or cause a convenient droid to malfunction in such a way that it delays the pursuit. Go ahead and mechanic up that piece of equipment to overheat, thereby creating a smoke screen you can escape through. Perception can show you a hidden way out or a path that is a vital shortcut to get where you're going. Maybe perception will help you spot a convenient cart of fruit or stack of boxes you can knock over into the path behind you. Any obstacles you can put in their way or means of speeding yourself up can be found with perception. Piloting. Yes, piloting in a foot chase can save your bacon. Surely you've rigged your transport of choice for remote control at a bare minimum. With a good piloting check, it can be made to come to your rescue in the direst of circumstances. Of course, once you have your vehicle nearby, it's either escape aboard it or turn it into a mobile gun platform. Possibly both. Who isn't down for that sort of fun? Skullduggery and stealth become powerful allies in a chase. Skullduggery to open locked doors and secret hidey holes, and stealth to get into them and remain undetected. The possibilities are endless, especially if combined with other skills to create the opportunities you need to make them effective. Streetwise can give you a wonderful knowledge of exactly where those hidey holes might be. It can even lead you into places where those pursuing you are unwelcome, adding bonuses to subsequent checks like leadership to have the locals intervene. Does a certain section of town harbor gangers who particularly dislike bounty hunters? Excellent. Lead them there, and they might even realize what sort of trouble they are headed into and break off pursuit. See that dewback over there? Or that tauntaun? Or maybe even a bantha? Animals tend to run faster than regular people. Hop on and make a survival check and you'll soon be outpacing them. If nothing else, perhaps your survival check will allow you to route the animals into a stampede headed right down the very street the bad guys are headed up. If that doesn't slow them down and sow confusion, nothing will. Vigilance is all about the head start. Detecting danger just before it actually arrives based on the sudden changes in your environment, a sudden hush in the crowd, or people backing away from you for instance, might be just the lead you need to shake pursuit right from the start. If they never see you, they can hardly chase you, can they? Using skills to survive dangerous situations, even if those skills might not seem to apply at first, relies on your ability to think creatively and build a little story around why those particular skills might work in your favor. Between the GM and players, creative skill use can both keep you alive and heighten the drama, excitement, and fun of the story as you work together. And that is what it's all about. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to rig this bantha to explode when I kiss it. Damn bounty hunters. Yes, yes, well done. <laughs> Very well done, Fiddy. I love that uh, diversity he's going for. It's nice, it's nice. Nice, six of time, oh yeah. Oh. Uh. Do you know what else is some good, like, sexy time? Uh, messages from the edge? Nothing gets me more hot. He doesn't seem to take a hint, this guy. 
I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. Messages from the Edge. Boy, am I glad to hear your voice. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. Welcome back to Messages from the Edge, by the way, boys and girls. This is our regular show segment where we take the time to answer all of your game and rules questions about the system. How can you get us these questions, you might ask? Well, the easiest way is to go to our forums and post it up. Go over to d20radio.com slash forums, get registered, and head over to the Order 66 podcast board, and you will find a Messages from the Edge thread that's sticky, so you can always see it up there on top. Or you can email your questions to us, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com, or if you're brave enough, you can call us, and we've got one of these coming up in a second. On the D20 Radio hotline, 262-D20-RADIO. 262-320-7234. That's it. So our first question tonight comes from a, we call him a rapid regular poster, Darth Omnid. Mm. And he posits the following. <clears throat> On page 210 of the Edge of the Empire Core rulebook, under making ranged attacks at engaged targets, Raw states that, and he quotes, if the attacker's check succeeds but he generates an at least one despair, that despair is automatically spent to make the attacker hit one of the individuals engaged with the target of the GM's choice instead of the target. Does this mean that in the case of an attack against an engaged target that fails to hit, a despair should not or cannot be used to hit another target he's engaged with? The fact that the rules specifically mention the procedures for a success make me suspicious. Also, it seems like a successful hit would mean that your shot would have been on target. I don't recall any other situation where an attack that was successful would not hit the intended target. Is it possible that the conditions were intended for failure rather than success? Well, you're right, Omnid. This is an interesting one. And no, there really isn't any other situation uh, commonly where an attack that was successful would not hit the intended target. But this is not a normal circumstance. Um, oh, it's called a despair. Yes, it's despair mixed with engagement. And engaged parties are jostling around each other, and, and it's, 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 it's rough. So the rules are quite clear. If successful and you generate despair, it's used to hit an engaged target. It might seem like it makes more sense if that happens on a failed check, dude, like you say, but if you fail, think about it, you, you really have no way to determine what damage was dealt. Um, though, honestly, if a GM wanted to use a despair result on a fail uh, to hit an engaged, you know, target aside from who you were targeting, um, I think that's totally reasonable, and I think base damage for the weapon would be just fine. Um, one, of the, one of the core precepts, Omnid, of, of, of mixed roles that we talked about way back in episode 10, uh, Triumphant Despair, was that the despair shouldn't negate the success of a role. But this appears to. And that is, frankly, why it is specifically called out in the rules. Um, it's an exception. Firing into engagement sucks. It really, really, really sucks, and it's really, really dangerous. Um, and this is one of the first times in a long time that I've seen that danger represented in a truly scary way, instead of just... Oh, that's a minus five to your roll. Um, <laughs> this is why destiny points are so damn handy. Because remember, they can downgrade difficulty instead of just upgrading your check so you can get rid of the chance for despair um, by 
negating those red dice down into purples, you know, all, all together. Um, and that is extremely importante. So, duly noted. But, no, man, the raw is what it is. I don't know, Dave, do you think that's too harsh? No, not at all. I think it's, uh, I think it brings back the hilarity of the uh, critical fail. Well, yeah, but you succeeded, though. Well, no, I understand that, but it's the same general mechanic, right? So you've succeeded, but something terrible is going to happen because you rolled a friggin' despair. I am not opposed to this at all. This is like, this is like success with a critical fail. I, I'm not opposed to this. I love it. I think it's great. I think it opens up a whole world of possibilities that you can just really, really have some really fun things happen. I'm kind of in the same boat, but if it really bugs you, Omnid, um, I think as a GM you could be well within your rights in saying that a despair causes the blaster to damage both the intended target and someone engaged with him. Uh, maybe it passes through one and hits the other, um, or you have a ricochet scenario going on if it's a, uh, you know, a, a non-blaster bolt weapon. Um, I think that's totally valid um, if it really gets in your craw. But. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that guy. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Next question from Rage to Empire. Ooh. And he has a question about ship movement. He says, hey, guys. Hey. Hello. How you doing? I'm planning on running my first starship battle encounter soon, and I was curious as to how many maneuvers does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Tootsie Pop. Three. Three, exactly. Really, how many maneuvers does it take to either accelerate or slow down a starship? I know you can punch it to get maximum speed with suffering system strain, but how many rounds does it take to get to, say, speed four from zero? Thanks, Order 66. Well, you're welcome, Rage. Um, it's actually quite simple, man. Uh, this is the accelerate-decelerate action, which is detailed on page 232 of the Edge of the Empire Core rulebook. Um, and I use action as a small a, not big A, uh, because it is actually a maneuver. It's in the maneuvers section. Uh, simply, it's a single maneuver. It's pilot only to increase or decrease the vehicle's current speed by one to a minimum of zero or a maximum of the ship's max speed rating. So how many rounds to get from speed 0 to speed 4? Well, do that depends. Uh, because as is also detailed on page 232, a ship can only benefit from a single pilot-only maneuver in a round, unless the ship itself suffers two system strain. So under normal conditions, at one pilot-only maneuver per round, it would take four rounds to go from 0 to 4. If the pilot is willing to take two maneuvers per round and suffer two system strain for the ship each round, he could do it, in two rounds. But at that point, it'd be the same system strain cost as if he punched it for one maneuver to go just from zero to four. And that only takes a single maneuver, so yeah. But hope that answers your question, dude. Okay, yeah. That. All right, last question. Well, sort of last question. Yes. Uh, this comes from a longtime poster and a community member, Dr. Xerox. Oh, Xerox. He's in the chat, man. I know. I missed you, I Xerox. Missed you. He's been gone a long time. So, all right. So, Dr. Xerox has a question about force powers. And he says this. According to the rules, a player does not roll the force die until he has chosen to use his action and therefore doesn't know if he will succeed or fail his force check until 
after he's decided to use the force. I have a couple of questions for experienced GMs about this. It would seem that, according to Raw, if a player chooses to use a force power, such as move object for their action, rolls dark side and is unwilling or unable to convert it to light side force points, the action just fails and is spent. I can see how this makes sense from a flavor perspective, as your character is very new to the force with only a single force die. However, this strikes me as a bit of a punch in the gut from a gameplay perspective. Am I interpreting the rules right? And in this case, if I am, is losing an action a frequent thing and or a big deal in your experience? And if my above interpretation of the rules is correct, I'm also wondering if a player needs to choose whether they are, what they are doing before they roll the force die to the point where he needs to tell the GM what he's targeting with move object. Example, the player wants to move object on a silhouette one object but rolls only one light side. Is his action wasted? Or should he be allowed to downgrade his use of move object to move a different silhouette zero object? Uh, okay, dude. Well, in answer to your first question, um, if he rolls and he doesn't or can't get or chooses not to convert uh, to get enough light side points, is the roll spent? You know, is is it failed? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. On, honestly, it, it, no different at that point from a failed attack roll, right? And no, it's not that big a deal, man, because, I mean, we're not dealing with a once-per-encounter limits on powers or or a cost of strain to use them or anything like that. I mean, a force user can technically spam a power every single turn if they want, uh, just like a gunslinger could spam shots with a blaster pistol. So, yeah, if they fail, they fail. Try again later. Um, now, as to the second part of your question, the player, and, and I, there's been a lot of heavy forum discussion about this, and I really kind of want to be clear about this. The player does not need to specifically detail exactly what they are doing before they roll those dice. Though, obviously, a general idea is needed. Like, I'm going to use the move power, I'm going to try and lift something to do maybe something. <laughs> like, the rules as written are actually very clear on this, uh, beginning with the second paragraph in the Activating Power section on page 278 of the Edge of the Empire Core rulebook, and extending through the fifth paragraph in that section, and it's quite clear. Step one. Player creates his dice pool. Two, he rolls. Three, decides if he's willing or able to use any dark side pips. And four, after that, after that, all that, and I quote, once a player assembles his available force points, he consults his force power and determines how he will spend them. That is the last step. So you build your pool, you make your roll, you determine if you're going to use dark side or not, and then based on what you rolled, you figure out what you're going to do with the pips you generated. And this is as it should be, dang it. This is a narrative system. How else could it be? Um, player says, I want to use move, or I want to try and hit him with a big crate. He builds his pool, he rolls, and then he has to deal with too many or not enough light side points. Maybe maybe he rolled really well, and he gets to toss a couple extra crates he didn't originally plan on. Maybe he, he rolled really poorly, and he you know can't move the giant cargo container, but he can still... Toss a nearby Hydra Spanner. The GM should be flexible with this, too, and work to give the player as many choices as possible. And that is the rules as written, man, and the rules as intended. So that's how we should run it. Yeah? Yeah, man. Aha. Uh -huh. All right, dude, so we got this last question, yeah? Yeah, we do, man. Uh, let's, uh, let, let's, let's hear it. GM's uh, Dave and Chris. I would like to ask you 
about how to trim down high dice pools. One of our players was able to get his hands on the mods Marksman Barrel and Forearm Grip. Now, on their own, these aren't too bad, but due to our mechanic having a high mechanic skill and the player in question having enough credits to, you know, trade from player to player for his services, he now has Accuracy 2 with the Forearm Grip and Accuracy 1 with the Marksman Barrel Mod. Although I don't have the book in front of me, those could be switched around. But the point is, the guy has a dice pool of three yellows and three blues, and that's before aiming, which he all, which he pretty much always does because there's no reason for him not to, just to add to the ridiculousness. Aside from having a Sith Inquisitor show up and cut his damn blaster in half, is there any way you can recommend, you know, taking some of the ridiculousness out of this? Because with his, because he has a marksman barrel, forearm grip, and a uh, marksman, uh, marksman telescopic sight thing all on this gun, and it pretty much made him an all-range monster with this gun. He's kind of face-rolling everything before other players even have a chance to do anything about it. Well... Thanks very much, and uh, never listen. Take care. <laughs> that came from Austin Catan, by the way. Thank you, Austin. I have two words. Yeah? Shoot the glance. Um, explain. What do you mean? Uh, you know, I mean, I understand that the PC has gone out of his way to make a badass and if it is truly disrupting the party either one have a discussion with the PC or two damn I hated when you roll a despair and you dropped your gun off a cliff <laughs> um, there aren't any rails in Star Wars I know but that's so dickish it, um, it kind of is but if you've had a talk with the player and they won't back down well Sorry. Okay, I think there's other options. Okay, your option is good, and I like it. Okay, but I think there's other options. Um, you know, like like taking his equipment from him, I just think it's kind of kind of it's kind of dickish. I don't know. I, it, listen, it doesn't I'm, really follow D-Bad, does it? No, it doesn't follow the D-Bad principle. But you know, I'm led to wonder how he could afford all this awesome gear in the first place, unless he's a pretty advanced character. In which oh, case, well, there you go. if if he's that advanced, that kind of badass was expected, but. I mean, maybe it's a new GM, you know, and, and, and I get that. So I think there's a few suggestions we can make without treading on the D-bad principle that might work. Um, and the first and most obvious to me, dude, is to increase the difficulty of his checks. This is the simplest solution. If he's rolling a ton of yellow and green, well, gee, you cancel him out with a ton of purple and reds. Um, but GMC, you might say. How can I do that? Difficulty is set by the range band. 
Well, sure it is, but uh, you know what? Guess what? This pipe just burst in your way, and you've got to shoot through this fog. Yes, and, you know, there's setback, or if it's bad enough, increase difficulty. What about the adversary talent, all right? If this dude's that awesome, why not toss an adversary 2 or adversary 3 threat into the mix? You know, the, all of a sudden, the guy's, the guy's rolling against 2 or 3 reds. That's insane, okay? And it will seriously help negate some of his badassery. Um... Also, you can increase the difficulty through destiny points, GM. Are you spending them appropriately? This is a perfect time. Um, and Dave, as you mentioned, man, cover, concealment, add setback dice. Remember, improved cover adds two setback dice to incoming ranged attacks. Are the NPCs actively using it like they're supposed to be? Ah, uh, you know what? Write up your, do your campaigns or do your encounters in such a way that you don't get to, to, to see these things from range. Close quarters. You know, put him in melee. Dude, that works, dude. It, a foe gets in his face, man. We, you know, firing a rifle while in, a rifle while engaged radically increases the difficulty of the shot um, or forces him to waste a maneuver to disengage, which means he can't aim as easily um, uh, or as effectively. Um, okay, now I don't know about dropping it down a, a mine shaft. <laughs> nah, dude, I, I, but, I, 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 it, was, it was good GM, bad GM. Here's what I would do with a despair. Yeah. Is, you know, you, you, you drop your weapon. The sight is off. All your future, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna pick up a black die because you messed up your sight a little bit until you can fix it after the encounter. Dude, that's totally feasible. I'd even go a little more hardcore. I've used despair on high energy weapons like that before, especially ones that have been heavily modified because it fits in the narrative to like, oh, dude, your, your brand new sight, you know, cracked or the barrel overheated. Okay, and it can render a weapon useless until it can be repaired. You know, which only might only take a couple minutes for you to clean the barrel out, but it has to happen after the encounter. So yeah. you know, it's done there. Make him run out of ammo. Another great use for despair. I mean, even if he's a spare clip monkey, he's got recharge. You know, uh, or recharges on him. You know, spare ammunition at all times. It's gonna make him waste precious maneuvers and actions to do that. So. There's all kinds of things you can do, man, but increase the difficulty. Find ways to do that. And once you do that, you're going to start rolling despairs. And once you get those despairs, you can take advantage of them to really creatively nerf that mega gun he has if you don't feel comfortable just taking it from him. But, no, Dave, you got a point, man. I mean, if it's that imbalancing to the game and you're looking at it, it's like, wow, I probably shouldn't have let you got that. The rarity was too high or, you know, you probably shouldn't have been able to afford that. Talk to the player about it. I mean, if he's willing... Maybe you can just hit the problem in the butt right then and there. Um, I wouldn't be willing as a player. I'd be like, F you. I got this big gun. You let me have it. I'm really enjoying this. It's fun for me. Um, so find a way to make it interesting. Use the narrative dice system. Use it. Use it. Use it. Um, yes. Hey, uh, dude. We, oh, you know, oh, on this, we got a comment in chat. Somebody says, you know, my GM feels that adding difficulty dice for environmental effects is a big no-no. Uh, that's valid, dude. I, I've done it both ways. It depends on the harshness of the effect, um, you know, whether it adds setback dice or whether it's going to do a full upgrade. Um, God, I kind of I, I kind of leave that up to. Uh, yeah, it's a philosophical difference. I mean, it is. I mean, the, if you look at the core rules, they recommend setback dice for environmental effects like that. But really big stuff. I mean, an upgrade is is just as valid. It's just as valid. And even if it's not environmental, you got adversary, um, you have destiny points. There, there's still plenty of ways. You know, give your NPCs some talents. Give them dodge, okay, or sidestep. All right, which will you know 
increase the uh, the actually truly truly not increase but upgrade the difficulty, um, so you can get more of those despairs rolled out there. Lots of ways to do. You know, there, you know, there's something else that we didn't even consider about just not necessarily a dice pool, but from another aspect, right? So this guy is such a badass. He's generated a lot of notoriety, and now all of a sudden, there's a bounty out on. Ooh. How how legal is that modified weapon? I yeah. ask you. And if he's if he's in even a semi-civilized system, does he have a license for it? Yeah. So I mean, I, there's there's some very interesting plot hooks you could also use that are not necessarily dice pool related. So I just thought of that. I don't know why. All right. Well, we are going to stop down now for about five minutes, Dave, and we are going (gasps) to uh, do something exciting. Yes. I already hear you gasp. Mr. Pitt. We have a new listener bit um you know a few things i think are as amazing as the bits we get from our listeners and for a while now we've been working with this longtime community member wacky uh on a bit that he's been really passionate about on equipment modifications and it's something that you guys have been requesting it's something he's really passionate about so we want to bring that passion to you right now with the very first installment of the moderator so please enjoy Hey, great to see you. Wasn't expecting you for another two weeks. Good to know that Jawa has such prompt delivery, especially all the way from Tatooine. Hmm, you're being that quiet, someone tells me you're not here about the droid. <sighs> should have known. If you're here delivering a droid, you'd have one with you, eh? You must be here to talk about altering your gear, making it more of your own. Well, then you came to the right place. The Zaint Wados or Tashi Station. Don't sell anything like that. Here we just mod goods to make them better suited for the owners. Now let's chat. We often hear that various characters in the galaxy are defined more by their skills and talents than gear, and that's true. Mostly. Many members of the Rebel Alliance has owned a piece of equipment that is truly theirs. Han Solo has his custom blaster pistol. Chewbacca wields a bowcaster. Luke Skywalker uses a lightsaber. Heck, even their protocol droid is modded with a translator unit. Each of these items helps to flush out that person as they try to make their mark in the galaxy. Let's see if we can't take something mundane and make it truly yours. Okay, let's see what we should start you off with first. You knew this sort of thing, so we'll go with something easy. Two easy things, actually. The front-filed sight and the shortened barrel. Two options that are very similar, but deserve a good cross-examination. The front-filed sight has been called an old assassin's trick. This allows for a weapon to be drawn without a sight at the end of the pistol catching on your holster, making it faster. It's cheap, and if you're doing it yourself, all it costs you is access to a toolbox. Doesn't even have to be your own. Removing the serial numbers doesn't matter much, since the blaster scorch marks don't tell which blaster shot it, but it's a good idea if you don't want that weapon being tracked back down to the trader you bought it from. Waddle will thank you. Well, that will keep your contacts from giving you the cold shoulder. Trust me. Best of all, a front-filed sight is easy to do on the outer rim. All it really requires is a file, no special parts. That's great, especially if you're on the run in the middle of nowhere. The shortened barrel is for those of a more skullduggerous nature. You know the type. It's meant to hide and keep anyone from knowing you're armed. Having more than one type of pistol is always a good idea. 
I've known those to have one with a shortened barrel to be their backup weapon in case the first was confiscated. Some even think to have multiple modded pistols like this, so that if one is found, the other is often overlooked. Each of these two fine modifications has further advantages and setbacks. Each can be modded to provide the benefits of the other. A front-filed sight is a poor man's choice. Many unsavory types will view anyone with such a mod as a common thug. Law enforcement will often do the same. In the case of the latter, you may want to charge you with any mundane crime thinking that you've done something equally bad before and catch the real culprit another time. A shortened barrel is more of a professional's choice. It's costly in comparison, but you are somebody if you have one. Since undercover law enforcement uses this too, a person with a shortened barrel who is skilled in deception might be able to fast-talk their way out of security forces. The real problem is that you must purchase one rather than simply filing the sights down. It takes an average trip to your local shops in the mid-rim, but if you're in the outer rim, it'll be hard to find one. If you find an extra pistol on some thug you've taken out, think about filing down their pistol sights. Just ditch the weapon once you're done with it. Lastly, these two mods can be stacked if you need a nicely concealed weapon that's quick to draw on the cheap side. Be careful, anyone seeing you with a filed down shortened barrel might think you just don't know what you're doing. That'll make them reconsider hiring you. Game terms. For the front filed sight modifications, add a setback die to any deception or charm checks against law enforcement. If a character chooses to file off the serial number, add another setback die to such checks. If the serial number has been filed off, add a setback die to any streetwise or knowledge underworld attempts to discover where the weapon was sold. Characters with a front filed sight should also receive a setback die to any charm or negotiation checks when dealing with underground figures. In all cases, the weapon must be seen on the target to affect the roll. If a despair is rolled when modding the weapon with a front filed sight, Game Masters may want to consider the barrel damaged and unusable. This requires machine shop and parts to make repairs. A hard mechanics check is required for any such repairs. Characters with a shortened barrel mod should receive a boost die for any charm or deception checks made against law enforcement to consider them undercover officers. This bonus does not apply to security personnel not in a government agency. A shortened barrel also offers a boost die for making checks with charm or negotiation with criminal figures for jobs involving assassination or discreet protection. Finding a shortened barrel mod in the outer rim is hard negotiation check, as the part must be manufactured and not just altered on the pistol. So I think that should get you started with modding gear to give you an edge when dealing with the Empire. Come see me again if you're looking for more ideas of what you can do to get a little more out of what your stuff does. Come back to the shop and just ask for me. My name? Hmm. I don't think it's safe telling you who I am, so just call me... The Moderator. Nope, it, it's nothing. I'm fine. Thank you, Wacky. Very well done, uh, the moderator. I'm looking forward to more installments of that bit. We've had a lot of people request stuff uh, for modifications, so I'm glad that we're going to have a semi-regular bit that's devoted to it. I think it's awesome. Uh, yeah, well well done, sir. Well done. And um, speaking of awesomely well done stuff, uh, we had kind of another request that leads us to something else. Like this. There is a great disturbance in the force. I got a bad feeling about this. You must unlearn what you have learned. When good days go back. 
Davis. Excellent. Indeed, indeed. All right, so now that more and more players are getting lots of hours of FFG system on the table, um, the old problems and the new begin to rear their heads. You know, games can go bad. But, Dave, when games go bad, where do people turn in these troubled times for, for help? Well, I would say that they turn to W Triple GB. Ah, yes. That would be when good games go bad. Ah, yes. Because we, the erstwhile GMs, are here to provide advice in these troubled times to help make your game great. So, tonight, um, uh, W Triple GB comes in via an email I got a little while ago from David Masterson. Um, who had an interesting story to share. Very interesting, and he writes this. He says... I won't do the voice. Thank you. (laughs) I will say. He says, okay. So my game group finally finished up our four-year-long Saga Edition campaign, and thank you, by the way, for four years of podcasting on it. I don't think our game would have been as good without your show. But our long-time... GM was finally ready to play and let someone else take the lead, and most of us were ready to hang up our D20s and try something new. So I convinced my group to keep playing Star Wars with the new Edge of the Empire system from FFG. Yay! We've been playing for about three months, and we're loving it. But I've had a strange thing come up, and I'm not sure how to handle it. I think this is probably my fault as a GM, because I'm a bit rusty. I don't think I really understood what obligation meant or how it worked, and listening to your recent episodes, I really think I have a grasp on it now, but the problem is already there. One of our PCs is a Karelian gambler, and another is a Twi'lek industrialist. The gambler wanted his obligation to be debt-owed, and the Twi'lek said he wanted to be the person to whom the money was owed. They both agreed. It was a cool story. That's why the Karelian is on their ship and working with the crew. He owes the Twi'lek. But it's turned into a monster. The Twi'lek doesn't want the debt paid because he wants to keep enforcing his will on the gambler. And when the gambler gets money he wants to pay you know, off the Twi'lek to reduce his obligation. I'm scared now because the Twi'lek PC will have way more money than the others. It feels imbalanced. I've got one player that wants to control another, and the other has an obligation that I've got no idea how to reduce without imbalancing the party. Help me, Order 66. You're my only hope. Well, you certainly got yourself into a little pickle there, haven't you? (laughs) Sounds like my old school, like, high school D&D group. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. What, what, what do you think? This is kind of unusual. I mean, some might say that having, what, commingled obligations among PCs is a bad thing. Um, yeah. I, I'm not so sure, maybe, but we'll talk about why. Um, either way, his problem is already there, man. I mean, so yeah. what advice can we give him? Well, my my first my first thought is that you you throw up your hands as a GM and you say, "Guys, my bad. I'm sorry. This is this this has the potential to really get out of hand, and so I'm going to take back what I allowed you guys to do, and let's do 
a new obligation for you guys, reset them or whatever the case is, like a uh, just call it a do-over. Mm, like you a know, flat. I mean, it's it's going to take a conversation with both your players, and you're going to have to ask them to rework whatever obligation their hand, you know, they're, they they've got. Kind of, uh, you know, just GM fiat. You're gonna you're gonna wave your hand. It's gonna go away, and then you're gonna somehow change it up a little bit. But uh, uh, you know, that's again, I I like jump to the easy conclusion. That's 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 not necessarily story driven. So, what uh, you know, what can you do within the store? You know, I mean, that's that's another. Those are other options besides that. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you don't want to just hand wave it off and make them change it, there's a couple of things you can do. This is just to pay it off, pay off the obligation. I mean, okay, and he mentions like his concern is is this money. You know, it, it would leave the Twi'lek PC with too much money. Um, this is honestly, dude, in my experience, not as big a problem as you're worried about. As a GM, you have a tremendous amount of control over that money in terms of how it is spent and what it is used for. Because, I mean, the GM determines the rarity of items and how hard it is to find them. Uh, and so that, that's a huge piece of control you have. Um, plus, that money... Dude, that, that could make the player a target, you know? That could actually give him unnecessary or unwanted obligation. Um, you know, plus, from a money perspective, in my experience, party money is is really party money. I mean, most parties will have PCs that spend credits on other PCs. I mean, it might be a little different if that Twilight's just going to hoard it all and go, no, no, mine, mine, my precious. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be as imbalancing a situation if, as you're worried about, honestly, depending on how much money he owes him. Uh, <laughs> but if he gets that much money in game and that's balanced, yeah. <coughs> excuse me, it's still party money. You know, regardless of which PCs it's his pockets it's in basically i i don't know i mean that's that's another so i I don't think his worries that found it there but dude what if you were to pay it off without credits i mean okay you gotta what i mean yeah i i you know that's 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 we talked a little bit about this when we got you know when we got the question and and you know this boils down to you know whether if you've got a PC that's just hell bent on enforcing an obligation type of relationship with another PC, then enforce it. You know he, you know what has the gambler done anything above and beyond for the Twi'lek? Saved his life? You know done any kind of extraordinary favor? You know better yet, how long has he been an indentured servant to the guy? You know I mean. Usually, you know, when you're working for the guy you owe money to, you're working off the debt, right? So, right, right. How many, how many weeks or months is that going to take exactly? And then you, as the GM, need to establish that and say the gambler's service is reducing the obligation. Yeah, okay, he owes you money, but guess what? He's doing stuff for you. He might have saved your life in an encounter. Who knows? You're going to drop that obligation, and you, as the GM, have the power to say. Guess what? Obligation down by five. Obligation down by ten. Whatever. Yep. So you know, I mean, let's 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 think about a a cinematic galaxy far far away. You know, what are the loan sharks going to do? Right? They very well might gladly forgive a debt in lieu of oh, you know, replacing it with a life debt, if you will. You know, awesome services rendered. You know, saving your life. Uh huh. 
So work with the Twi'lek, you know, to set it up and, and, and work to satisfy the, gab, the gambler's uh, uh, obligation without necessarily having credits changing hands. I mean, the gambler's going to make the credits. So, you know, like Chris said earlier, the credits are going to stay within the party. So, you know, reduce the obligation some other way. The credits are still within the party. Yeah, everybody makes out. You know, I, I like the idea of, of buying it off through service. That makes a lot of sense. Another really good cinematic and narrative uh, suggestion is, as a GM, buy the debt. I, I think this is maybe my favorite suggestion uh, 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 for, for, for you specifically, David. Um, because you, you seem to have a power trip player here and you need to take that power from him. Um, and dude, simply have the gambler's debt obligation purchased by an NPC. And the best way to do this through the obligation of the Twi'lek, you know, we haven't <clears throat> talked about his obligation and that's important. I mean, maybe as the game progresses and <clears throat> the, the situations you put in front of him as a GM, Maybe that Twi'lek starts to owe money to some people himself um, or some other debt, and they're willing to take that debt off the books in exchange for his contract with the Corellian Gambler PC. All right? There you go. So as a GM, again, you have the power to put that Twi'lek into a situation where he needs to do this. Um, and... You know, it, it you know you suggest it, and if you put him in an untenable situation, it could be an easy way to get that gambler's debt transferred to uh, a debtor that you control as the GM. Yeah, absolutely, dude. But I mean, ultimately, you know, however you decide to attack it, you need to have a serious conversation with both players away from the rest of the group, mm -hmm. and you really just need to sit down and tell them, "Hey, I really like the game. I really don't want to make it." not fun you know we want to we want to remove the suck yeah so you know i i i think the call we made at the beginning is is has the potential to make this uh, unbalanced situation and not fun so you know i want to find a way to change this within the story and i want you both to help me do this right so you say that you offer suggestions you let them make some suggestions and then you get buy-in from the players which is always the best thing as a gm mm -hmm. they both you know maybe they're both fine with a total reboot you know if not then see what kind of a narrative story that'll satisfy both players that will help you work your thing out and then if you still can't get to a conclusion then i really like the whole buying the debt off you know you 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 know increase the debt of of another uh, of another PC of of another PC the Twi'lek in this case and then all of a sudden it's taken care of by the debt being bought out by a hut or something you know yes I uh, I think this is uh, how you got to do it man that that's it plain and simple you're in kind of an untenable situation so you've got to find a way to get that power away from that power gripping PC and find a way to negate change or sell off that debt by the gambler it's the only way to do it yeah done good question guys thank you and uh, again of course if you guys want to send us your own quandaries for when good games go bad the w triple g b squad is on the case be sure to email us of course uh call it into the d20 radio hotline or just post it up on the forums d20 radio.com slash forums and it appears that mr Steele has taken a holiday break so sad tear we are without transmissions from the rim tonight. How, oh. However, we, of course, have the glory and awesomeness that is Darth GM 
GM Phil with Fragments from the Rim, which is coming at you right now, and we'll see you guys in about six and a half minutes. The farther you get from the core worlds, the more mysteries there are in the galaxy. Secrets that can mean the difference between success or failure, triumph or despair, life or death. Take a seat. My friend here will reveal one of these secrets. One of these fragments from the rim. Did you hear about the celebrity sighting we almost had on the station recently? I received a report from one of the deck officers that Boba Fett had arrived on the station. Somewhat concerned, I did some further checking. It's never good business to have one of the most infamous bounty hunters board your station. I discovered that Fett arrived in a modified Lambda-class shuttle named the Foxcatch. Immediately, I knew this wasn't Fett. Boba Fett flies a modified fire spray patrol craft. A little fact I learned when I was researching ships several months back. You remember, right? I was looking to buy, and if I had picked the ship, that was the model I would have gone with. Apparently this faux Fett hadn't really identified himself with the deck officer when he landed. He just intimidated his way through customs, ordering the hangar crew to resupply his ship while he took care of business on the station. Taking care of business is apparently a euphemism for hitting the casinos and having a girl on each arm for several hours. Relieved that he wasn't here for anyone in particular, I spoke with Mr. Steele and found out this gentleman's identity. He is a bounty hunter, but he's named Jodo Cast. Not even from Mandalore, just some imposter who scored himself a suit of original Biscargum armor. Cast has gone through great lengths to imitate Boba Fett, even equipping himself with similar gear. He's basically riding on Fett's coattails. He's made a f- quite a few credits on Fett's reputation. That's a dangerous game, especially if Fett ever finds out and catches up with him. I'm sure Jodo Cast's actions would violate Fett's Mandalorian sense of honor, or just simply piss him off. Now there's an interesting subject. The Mandalorians. Legendary warriors. And more times than not, a real thorn in the side of the Old Republic. Every few centuries, it seemed like there would be another Mandalorian crusade against the Republic. That's ancient history, though. More recently, details of the Mandalorian culture are pretty cloudy. A lot has been written about them, sure, and the stories of the society are widely varied. Some of these tales have been an outright travesty. Stories of honorable warriors who live as large family clans, tending the land as farmers until time for war arrives, at which time they open their dusty storage lockers to don invincible armor that's been handed down for centuries, made of iron that can deflect blasters, lightsabers, turbo lasers, and the laws of physics. (laughs) If that were true, I've got a bridge on Alderaan I'd like to sell you. I'll say this, though. If there's a group of Mandalorians out there who embrace this whole savage raider motif of the Mandalorians, it's a sect known as the Death Watch. A while back, the leader of the Mandos thought it would be a real nice idea to stop raiding the Republic. Instead, the Mandalorians would start conducting themselves as honorable mercenaries. It worked, and it was a popular notion with most of the Mandalorians. You know, between that and the supposed defeat of the Sith at the Battle of Rusan, that might be why we don't we didn't have a standing army and navy until the Clone Wars. Mm. Anyway, so the Mandalore's plan didn't sit well with everyone. A charismatic soldier named Tor Vizsla really enjoyed the pillaging and killing and the other fun barbaric tactics of the old Neo-Crusaders. He started his own movement and called it the Death Watch. Vizsla advocated a return to the good old days of invading the Republic and fulfilling the Neo-Crusaders' dream of brutally subjugating it. Many flocked to his banner. 
but the Mandalorian society at large labeled them outcasts and terrorists. The Death Watch fought against the other Mandalorians for decades. Accurate information gets jumbled around about the time of the Clone Wars. Most of the news centers around a bloody coup that occurred on Mandalore towards the end of the war, resulting in the death of the Duchess of Mandalore and the apparent success of the Death Watch in taking over the Mandalore sector. Apparently it was a short-lived victory, like most coups tend to be, and the Death Watch was forced back into hiding. Now, the Death Watch is still out there. They've lost a lot of their power base, but none of their determination. We still occasionally get reports of warships bearing the symbol of the Death Watch raiding transports, stations, and settlements in the Outer Rim. If you're looking for anyone to embrace the old stereotype of a fierce Mandalorian warrior hell-bent on killing you, it's the Death Watch. Don't give in to the rest of the mythos, however. They don't all fight with the skill of ten men, with armor impervious to blasters, a hidden tool or weapon in every crevice of their armor. Some are like that, sure, but Death Watch have rank-and-file troopers just like anybody else. So don't soil your spacesuit just because the Mandos are here. Keep your head and fight smart, and you can at least escape them if you can't take them down. It does make me wonder, though, what would happen if the Death Watch were to gain a larger following? What would the galaxy do if the Mandalorians got together like they did during the Crusades? Could the Empire stop them, especially while trying to bring this rebellion under heel? A thousand ships against a taxed Imperial fleet, desperately trying to oppress its own population. It took a Republic, populated with thousands of Jedi, and the backing of the public, to stop the Mandalorians last time they did that. What would happen to the Empire if the Mandos came calling in force, with only Vader and his group of Inquisitors as the Empire's saber-slingers? It wouldn't be pretty. And the Rebellion probably wouldn't be all for it either, because the Mandos wouldn't be restoring the Republic. They'd be burning it. Makes me glad the population on Mandalore seems to be keeping to themselves. Anyway, I should check in and see what or where the rumors place Fett these days. I just want to make sure he's occupied elsewhere and not looking to cash in on any bounties on Delta 2-0. Who would have a bounty here? Never mind. Forget I said anything. Hey, take it easy out there, and watch out for Mandos. Thanks for stopping by. Pay your tab at the door, and may the imps always be one step behind you. Okay, I just laughed my butt off at that. That was fantastic. Yes. Oh. More awesome than awesome really deserves. You're my hero, Phil. You're my hero. <laughs> oh, man. Well, what do you say we get to the meat of this here episode, yeah? Uh, what do you say? So what is the tentative title of our titular subject tonight, sir? Uh, we're going to call it um, Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is. Ooh. Um, <clears throat> we've uh, had a lot of show topic requests and lots of stuff on the docket, uh, but we've had a very old request for our Well Isn't That Special segment where we dig deep into a single specialization. Uh, that started off with an email back in August from Numos Penta, 
uh, and has been since echoed by Fango, Alien 270, Bell Iblis, uh, and others. And that would be the Politico. If, if you're going to spec as a face fan, we're going to help you spec right tonight. We're going to talk about the strengths and the weaknesses of the spec, the talents, the skills, the party role, and the mindset. So, Gamer Nation, polish those silver tongues and practice those rakish smiles. Because we are going to get all up in the Politico tonight on your Order 66 podcast with a brand new segment of Will Isn't That Special. And what makes you so special? In my book, experience outranks everything. Great kid! Don't get cocky! I'm looking forward to completing your training. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. I will be the most powerful Jedi ever. Well, isn't that special? All right, man. So, Dave, as we do, talk to me with a a, a brief overview of this spec, man. What what do we what do we need to know about the Politico? Yo, man, the Politico is, uh, well, you said it earlier, uh, you're the face. You are the face man, and when it's time to do the talking, you are the character that the party turns to. You're the empathizer. You're the motivator. You are a liar. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You negotiate, you wheel and deal, and then when you have to, you threaten. Yeah. You know, you talk first, even in deadly combat, you talk first. You always, always should rely on words to stop a conflict before it starts or to try and control the flow of inevitable violence early on, right? So if you're a good politico, your party will want you to take the first initiative slot, even if it gets to that point. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that, that's you. You are, you're the face and words are your weapons and that's that's important yeah um because i mean that that's quite literal i mean this this spec is tailor-made to have a character for whom words are literal weapons um i guess depending on the threats you're facing yeah yeah exactly i mean you know there's there's a couple of routes i think you can go with the politico and we'll, we'll you know we'll check them out but one of them specializes in helping motivate allies and make them better in tense situations. The other is uh, focusing on demoralizing foes and hindering them in tense situations. And, uh, <laughs> you know, either way, you know, you still use words as the weapon of choice. You're, you know, from a, I don't know, from a pure career spec skill perspective, you're, you're not really combative. Mm-hmm. You don't have any career or spec skills in any combat skill whatsoever. So, you know, a lot of our readers notice that this is one of those specs that just doesn't have any combat. So it means you're going to be relying on your party when things get really hairy, and they're going to be relying on you to make sure things don't get hairy. You know, unless you're all, like, hairy. You know, in a Wookiee or something. I don't know. <laughs> that was bad. That just didn't work. Um, it, it wasn't very punny. No. It was... <laughs> <laughs> gets worse here on this order 66 podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it, so okay so speaking of wookies 
human politicos have a little bit of an advantage over others because they get a free rank and a non-career skill. Yeah, meaning basic training with a gun can still be part of the human politico's bag of tricks. So that is that very out. true. That is very true. I don't think I've made or run a politico that wasn't human. Yeah. Mm, very interesting. That's right. Remember Race Will Wilson? Uh, yes, I remember Race Wilson. Yes. Indeed. Human politico. Boom. That's right. For those of you that have not yet played uh, The Enemy of My Enemy. Eight. It's there. It's done. Yeah. So uh, okay. So I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what, what what are you? Right. Well, okay. I mean, like as far as your role in the party, we've pretty much you've pretty much said it, dude. I mean, you're you're the voice. You're the talker. You're the con artist. You're the command leader. This role is going to put you as a character into the forefront of role playing and, and talking for the GM on behalf of the party. Uh, this spec really isn't for the strong, silent type. Um, so as a player, you need to make sure you're comfortable with this, um, and, and, and talking in the session. Okay. Um, because roles aside, you're probably gonna have to do a fair amount of role playing. Right. So for me, I'm not a big role player. Probably not going to be playing a Politico. Probably not. Um, I love them. (laughs) Um, now, uh, it's also worth noting in space combat, I just want to mention this now up front. You're probably going to be a subpar pilot and gunner, uh, but don't freak out. You still have an excellent option on board a ship, which your party should be turning to you to provide, and that option is fire discipline. All right, If you're amped up in leadership, which is one of the strong shticks for this particular spec, this is a go-to action for your character when space combat breaks out, so don't forget it. Um, if you're playing a Politico, just be sure you're amped up on how it works and have those rules, you know, bookmarked and handy so that if space combat does break out, you can slide into that role without people having to run through the book and try and look for how it works. Um, just a, a good note. So, Dave, let's talk about building a Politico from scratch. And, and you know, younglings, turn your Edge of the Empire core rule books to page 66, okay, which is which is where we are. Um Page 66 in your programs, please. You're going to have lots of brawn, number one category right here. You know, I, I, I don't think so, but I, I am interested to know what uh, what characteristics would be important to the Politico. I would think, personally speaking, that we're going to go with the non combat ones, like the cunning and the presence and the willpower. Aha. You know, I mean... Bump them all if you can. They're all three important. Your uh, single point of focus, if you will, is going to depend on your shtick, you know, and uh, and you, you know whatever the other two are need to be your secondary choices by default. So, you know, if you're going to wind up going, let's say, presence, for example, this is a characteristic for charm and leadership. If you're going to be the good cop motivator and the leader, this is the way to go. So you're going to pump presence, but you know, furthermore, the leadership is, is still the key skill to, to, you know, one of the other two shticks in the spec. So, you know, if that's the shtick that you're going for, then you need a really high presence, and so that's what you should gun for. But, you know, it also governs cool. So, you know, not, not just reactive, but also initiative. Very true. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, that's presence. What, you know, I mean, what, what could you use for willpower? Well, willpower is, is obviously governs coerce, I mean, from a social skill perspective. 
And you know, if you're if you're more interested in the bad cop shtick uh, and intimidating your enemies, this should be the primary focus for you. But willpower also governs discipline, which you know, again, as you mentioned earlier, with you know, uh, reactive, uh, you know, cool being reactive for presence. You know, discipline is another one of those reactive skills in social combat, also against fear, which is very important sometimes. Um, willpower also governs vigilance, the other initiative skill, um, and it increases your strain threshold, which is never a bad thing. Um, but, you know, presence versus willpower, you know, we're going to come back to that because it really, what you amp up most is going to depend on your shtick. So what Thank about, you. what about the third non, you know, uh, so, so I guess, I guess social, uh, style characteristic. What, what about cunning, dude? So cunning is, I guess it's not as centered around a particular shtick. You know, you're not going to be good cop, bad cop. This is, cunning is more about deception. So, you know, you know, you're going to be good at that. And, you know, if that's your main bag of tricks, then this is a good primary choice because, um, you know, well, but, but, you know, by the same token, it'll be secondary, secondary for a lot of politicos or at least, you know, as good as either presence or willpower. But typically, if they, if they're trying to get the most out of their talents, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, and that's true. It's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, to me, it doesn't strike as it, it's a little bit more, you know, the liar part of the, uh, you know, we talked about earlier, you know, the, the leader, you inspire, but you also lie. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is, you still have to be able to deceive to talk your way out of a lot of combat situations. So, uh, you know, this is still important. Okay. Now you were joking about it earlier, but honestly, I think when you get past like presence, willpower and cunning, which is those primaries, and it's kind of a toss up as to which is going to be the main focus. Agility and brawn, they're both solid secondary choices depending. Um, if you're going to be in the thick of things regularly, uh, really part of the, the bad cop shtick that we're going to be talking about, um, a good brawn is going to increase both your soak and your wound threshold. Um, <clears throat> and you're typically going to be a squishy type character, so that's never a bad thing. Um, and as far as agility goes, that might be a decent choice for a secondary characteristic if you have blaster training. Again, if you're human, it becomes very easy. Um, you you might then seriously consider benefiting from upping your agility to at least a three. Uh, that that extra die on your pool comes in pretty handy should uh, your words fail you and you have to pull out a gun. Oh no, my words have failed me, bam. <clears throat> uh, I know how it is. Yep. But I mean, okay. So what? U- ultimately, you know, y- you want to pump serious build XP into presence, willpower, and cunning. I mean, having all three of them up to three is not a bad idea. But if your primary is at four and maybe you have one of the second ones at three, that's that's just as good. Um, if you're really sticking to maximizing your talents, you're going to want to make presence and willpower the two biggies. And if you stick with one shtick, maybe making either presence or willpower, depending on whether you're going to be leading or coercing the four and maybe having the you know cunning or willpower as or presence or the other other as a three. Not a bad idea, but honestly, I mean, in the politicos I've run and built, you know, if I put a three in all three of those, they're still very effective and very powerful. So there you go. Okay, there you go. There you go. So all right, that's that's characteristics. Now, what about them skills, boy? Well, I mean, like any character, you got to set starting career skills. I mean, so let's let's talk about that, right? What what do you take your free ranks in? What do you need to spend XP to gain ranks in? So. Obviously, this spec is in the colonist, and for the colonist's eight main career skills, you have charm, deception, 
knowledge core worlds, knowledge education, knowledge lore, leadership, negotiation, and streetwise. Um, in other words, you know things and you know how to deal with people. Schmoozing, lying, inspiring, haggling, and getting the lowdown on information. The basics, really, of any good face character um, are, are heavily represented just in the core skills of the colonists, so that's fantastic. Um, I think, what, unprompted, you should be taking free ranks in leadership, charm, and deception without hesitation. Um, there's not much explanation that's really needed there. It, it's what you do. Interestingly, only leadership uh, is, is one of the powerhouse skills behind a shtick, um, you know, driving talents, but, but that, that's okay. Um, your final free rank, you know, of, of four out of the eight is kind of a tough one, and it really needs to be influenced by the holes in your party makeup. If your group doesn't have a good negotiator, maybe there's no traitor in the party or other scout um, or, you know, a scoundrel of some type, a smuggler, um, then take negotiation. Um, by the same token, if you're lacking it, streetwise is another excellent choice for a good generic skill that fits your role and lets you gather information, you know, potentially a key role that your party might rely on you for since you are the face, but is, is one of the skills that can commonly be shared between different careers. So, you know, your mileage may vary. Find out what the, where the hole is and plug it. Um, yeah. Now, as you advance, I mean, consider spending additional XP in any of the above skills. Maybe the knowledge skills, but honestly, they're kind of nice to haves for this build. I mean, if yeah, it, the if knowledge it, skills. I, I don't know. If it fits your theme, go for it. But you know, otherwise, they're kind of nice to haves. Yeah. So, what about the uh, political uh, skills themselves, man? So yeah, the political skills. You've got four spec skills, and they're charm, coerce, decept, deception, and knowledge core worlds. So, all right, charm and deception are both, you know, career and spec. Normally, that's a clue. It's a clue for you to take two free ranks in both. But, you know, it's not always the case. So, really, it's going to depend a lot on your shtick. You know, you're going good cop, bad cop, what are you doing? You know, if you're going bad cop, you need to grab that free rank and coerce. Then, deception, as they both get enhanced by your talent selection, right? Uh, what if you're going good cop? So this is where you get the second free rank in charm and then either coerce, just to round you out, or another free rank in deception, perhaps. You know? So, uh, you know, and then as you advance in your skill ranks, this is really going to depend on your shtick, you know, as we'll see. So um, spend the XP to advance a full two ranks in leadership and charm if that's your route. Or go full two rank in coerce and deception if that's your, if that's going to be your shtick, you know? So, I mean, you've got, you've got some choices there. But uh, you really need to nail down what your, I keep using the word shtick, but yeah, what, you know, well, yeah. What's your character going to be? Are you going? To, are you going the good cop? Or are you going the bad cop? Well, okay. Let's so let's let's dig into that, okay? Because we've we we've been alluding. To, okay, all, all these still choices are going to be influenced by your shtick. Let's talk about the shticks. All right, let's move on to them, as we do. Um, let's now take a look at the talents in the Politico tree specifically. Um, we are going to review the ones that seriously stand out, the ones you should consider, and we're going to do so by talking about groupings of talents that work well together for two specific. Uh, archetypes or shticks, um, paths of most efficient travel that lead to a specific politico character that follows a certain archetype. Um, and um, you know, Dave, what, what do you prefer, man? Are you good cop or are you bad cop? 
I think it depends on what I feel that day, but um, I think more honestly, I'll be bad cop than good cop. Well, all right, then I'll talk about good cop because ah. this is more me. <laughs> um, the, the first stick, the good cop, or aka the leader, um, is an archetype that's all about inspiring your allies to perform better. You're you're a buffer to borrow MMORPG parlance, uh, sadly. Um, you know, you're a kind, smooth talker who inspires those around you. Um, this shtick, this archetype, lives entirely in the left two columns of the tree. First four rows, pretty much down to the 20 XP talents. So let's go through them, okay? Uh, dude, first up, grit. You gotta love it. You can get it twice at both 5 XP and then again way down at 20 XP. Um, you know, increasing your strain threshold by one, highly useful. Um, it's worth noting that nabbing it at 20 XP is quite expensive for a one strain threshold increase, but it is necessary to advance to the bottom row of the tree, so you don't really have much of a choice there. But, uh, man, at 5 XP, the first rank, that is a literal bargain, so I highly recommend snatching that up. Now, after Grit, we move into Kill with Kindness, which is a, a staple talent that is not only useful on its own, but enhances your ability to pull off other key talents in the shtick. Uh, it lets you ignore one setback die for any charm or leadership check that you make per rank of the talent. Seriously consider taking one rank of it, if not both, at 5 and 10 XP. I mean, you're going to need to take at least one to continue advancement on, down this, this archetype, uh, but seriously consider both if you can afford it because they're, they're tremendously useful. Even if you've got to come back and take the second one later, that's fine. If you want to move on to the, the, the meat of the archetype of the shtick, which is inspiring rhetoric. We get now to the real deal behind the good cop, the leader. The first of three tiered talents that focus on using leadership specifically to concretely buff your allies. Um, in, in my politicos, I love this. Uh, first available at 10 XP, uh, Inspiring Rhetoric lets you make an average, that's two purple dice, leadership check as an action. When you do so, each success causes one ally in short range to recover one strain, and you can spend advantage to cause an affected ally to recover additional strain. That might not seem terribly useful, but it really is, especially when you start enhancing it, as we'll see. And, you know, Dave, we talked about this last episode. Experienced players who are spending strain as they should, and we talked about this with Jay, I mean, suffering strain from, from a rolled threat or, or spending it to gain extra maneuvers, they're going to be in the hurt locker pretty quickly. Like, all the games I've run, I find that people get close to passing out from strain before their wounds ever get close to, to reaching the threshold. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you've got people taking two extra strain left and right for the extra maneuvers. Yeah, yeah so it, it does. Experienced players, they'll use it frequently. They know what they're doing. <coughs> bless you. I have a Double frog bless in my throat. So <clears throat> that's inspiring rhetoric basic. Let's Let's follow this up with the enhancements to inspiring rhetoric. First, improved inspiring rhetoric. Um... You got to go through dodge to get it, which we'll come back to. But at 15 XP, we see inspiring rhetoric really start to pay off. Same benefits as before, but now the affected targets also get a boost die 
blue boost to any skill check they make for a number of rounds equal to your ranks in leadership. Another great reason to boost out leadership for this attack. So for this shtick, man. So think about that. I mean, you, oh, yeah, let me give you some, let me recover some strain for you. That's great. But oh, yeah, you, you know, all of you that are within short of me, you now have, oh, gosh, a boost die on everything you do for the next, oh, two, three rounds. That's huge. Um, absolutely, absolutely huge. Um, now that leads and paves the way to Supreme Inspiring Rhetoric, uh, which is right below Improved. 20 XP talent gives you all the benefits of its predecessors, but you as the Politico can spend one strain to perform it as a maneuver, not an action. So the, that is awesomely cool if you need it to be. I mean, getting a full action in and still accomplishing this as a maneuver, pretty handy for just one strain cost. Not bad. Not bad at all. Um, and the last talent, which we kind of glossed over before while talking about inspiring rhetoric uh, in its various forms, um, is dodge. And it is, is, it's between inspiring rhetoric and improved inspiring rhetoric. Um, you know, you, you have to take it to get to improved. 15 XP highly versatile defensive talent. We've talked about it before. Suffer a strain to upgrade the difficulty of an incoming attack. Highly useful. Um, and as we said, it's a must-have to advance in the tree at this point. So that's it. So when you break down this this shtick, man, I mean, it, it's about inspiring your allies with obviously inspiring rhetoric as that, that huge power point or the real power behind the shtick. Um you know, with ranks that kill with kindness, it just becomes easier and easier to make those leadership checks. And, and the more ranks you pour into it, the better, because it means more successes and more advantages to, to really make it shine and recover lots of strain for your party. Um, so if you're, you know, playing that type of, of political character, um, that archetype, the good cop, fantastic. Yeah. So talk to me about the, the, the mirror opposite. <laughs> So yeah, the flip side to that coin, the end of your yang. This is the bad cop, or as I would like to call it, the instigator. All right, this is the Politico that really, really gets into using his words as weapons and focuses on demoralizing their foes, lying to them, coercing them to devastating effects even in the heat of combat i mean you're not this is not just a pre-combat thing you're a debuffer dude hard foul mouth so and so that puts fear into those around him this this is a guy that lives entirely in the right two columns of the tree the first four rows down to the 20 xp talent so let's talk about toughen you don't have to get this talent at all, but bumping your wound threshold by two for a mere five XP is just one of those that falls into the category of too good not to do. Especially right. considering how in the thick of it you're likely to be with this particular shtick. You're going to be right in the middle of it. So, you know, for two extra wounds, probably a good thing to have. Uh, more so than the good cop, this archetype is really going to want to be in the middle of it, you know. So, again, you know, it's just, it's just really going to help. Uh, next, we've got plausible deniability. It's a staple for this particular shtick. It's, it's useful on its own, but it enhances your ability to pull off these other key talents. You 
automatically remove one setback die from any coerce or deception check that you're going to make per rank of the talent. It's not a bad idea at all to take ranks in it both times at 5 and 10 XP, but you'll, you'll need at least a 10 XP rank to advance in the troop. Uh, next, we've got Scathing Tirade. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is the first of the core talents in this archetype. The three tiered talents, similar to their opposite, that instead focus on using coercion to heavily debuff and hinder your foes. And they're available at, uh, this guy's available at 10 XP. You make an average, which is, again, two purple dice, coercion check as an action. Each success causes one enemy in short range to suffer a strain, and you can spend advantage, cause an affected enemy to suffer another strain. So if the GM is a, is a strain monkey just like everybody else in the game, that can actually help you. Uh, but, you dude, know, it's one strain, honestly. What what good is that going to do? Big whoop, right? You know, but, you know, it, it's this is... This is the, the the cornerstone, right, to a lot to to better versions of itself, right? Second, it, you know, it adds up. You know, like I said a second ago, if if your GM is 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 putting strain on his on his characters, well, you know, it's going to add up. If, but you know, if you're a minion, you don't suffer strain at all, which means it goes to your wounds, right? So think about that. So I mean, to recap, it's 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 really a talent that can affect multiple minions and give them, you know, in essence, it can give them wound damage with harsh language. You look funny, and your mother dresses you poorly. Ouch, that hurts. <laughs> and it really did hurt him. Uh, okay, so let's follow that right up with um, with an enhancement to scathing tirade. So you've got, guess what? Improved scathing tirade. So now you've got to go through well-rounded to get there, which we'll come back to kind of like we did with Dodge. But at 15 XP, this is, you know, this is where we see Scathing Tirade starting to pull its weight. Same effect as before, but now it affects those, those same enemies also suffer a setback die to any check they make for a number of rounds equal to your rank in coercion. Again, another good reason to boost coercion for this particular stick. And like the other side of the tree, You've got Supreme Scathing Tirade. Right below Improved, it's 20 XP talent. Gives you all the effects of its predecessors, but you can spend an extra strain to perform it as a maneuver instead of an action, which, you know, is kind of a big deal, like we talked about before. So, you know, very much like its mirror, like its polar opposite, uh, Scathing Tirade is, is, is a real mover and shaker ability for this particular archetype. And with ranks and plausible deniability, it just becomes easier to make those coercion checks successful. And, and the more ranks you pour into it, the more successes and more advantage that you're going to generate. And yes, it's awesome. So, all right. So we said we were going to come back to well-rounded, right? Yeah. Um, in between plausible and deniability at 10 XP and improved scathing tyroid at, uh, tirade at 15 XP, it's a very interesting little talent that that can uh, can make that character that's in the mix a little bit more proficient in combative abilities. It lets you pick any two skills and make them permanent career skills for your character, and that's handy. Dude. Maybe like pockets in a shirt, right? So 
you know, it's a bit late in the game, but at least it lets you advance in combat skill at a very reduced cost, right? So, you know, it's, it's, it's helping you out a little bit. It takes a little while to get there, but it'll help you. Um, and then I want to talk about Nobody's Fool for a second. Um, it's a cool little talent. It's fitting for the hard-hearted master of coercion. It's another 20 XP. Uh, a little bit harsh, but it is um, a keystone to get to the bottom tier from this side of the tree. It's a static ability. It just automatically upgrades the difficulty of any charm, coerce, or deception checks that target you. So it makes you more of a savvy social master. It may not help you as much in combat, but it, it probably will help you quite a bit if you're, I don't know, maybe trying to get some information out of a particular foe. I don't know. You know, lots of places it can help you. But uh, <laughs> the important thing is it unlocks the bottom tier. Yes. Uh, and that bottom tier is worth calling it out on its own, don't you think? I mean, it doesn't... Well, like, the talents don't fit into one shtick. I mean, it's like... Yeah, they they, they kind of hit them both. All of them. I mean, they, they it's like they were designed to hit both almost equally well. Um, I mean, they're all 25 XP. Obviously, it's bottom tier, but they're all amazing. Um, I mean, you got you got Steely Nerves, which uh, spend a destiny point to... Well, this okay, I say they're all amazing. This one's kind of... Okay. Uh, um, spend a destiny point with steely nerves and you ignore the effects, just the effects of any critical injury you take that impacts willpower or presence checks, of which obviously there are two critical injuries that could do that. Um, in other words, impacting your leadership or coercion, okay, until the end of the encounter. I, I don't know, man, this is, this is somewhat situational. It's one of those things, if you, when you happen to get that critical injury, of that nature that robs you of your primary abilities, this talent can keep you doing your thing. And, and that's, that's not too bad, but I really have to wonder if it's worth 25 XP. I mean, what else can I do with 25 XP? Um, I, I don't know if that's worth it for me. Yeah, I know, but, you know, if you're a good cop, then that's where you have to get in. That is the only entry point to the bottom tier. Yeah, yeah. But... Okay, so there's Steely Nerves. It's all right. Now we have Dedication. Oh, yes. Plus one to a characteristic. Slow clap. Hurrah. We know it. We love it. Um, the other two talents on that bottom tier, Natural Charmer. Once per session, re-roll any charm or deception check. Very useful. If not so much for inspiring rhetoric or skating tirade, still very useful. And, you know... There's not a lot of abilities that let you re-roll in this game, so just consider that. Yeah. And lastly, Intense Presence, which is actually the entry into the bottom tier from the, the bad cop shtick. Love Intense Presence. Love this talent. Spend a destiny point to recover an amount of strain equal to your presence characteristic. And if you've gone good cop, that should be pretty high. Okay, you should have a pretty good presence. Um, and again, very similar to Natural Charmer, guys, there are very, there are so few abilities that let you recover strain with, you know, ac actions on your part without lucky rolls, um, in the heat of battle. So treasure them. All right. And this is an excellent thing to pick up. Excellent. thing. Yes. Yeah. So, you know what? 
guess what? You're a politico. Yeah. Hopefully we've given you some good advice on uh, what your varying roles can be. Hopefully you've, you've learned a little bit about how to maximize the role's usefulness. But beyond that, you know, what are some good tidbits to consider as you role-play this character? You know? There's uh, there's always that whole obligation, duty, motivation thing. Oh, yes, they are extremely important. All right, man, so let's 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 freestyle this. Obligation, man. I mean... We know obligations pretty well, but how does this tie into your career as a politico? I don't like. I I practically see almost anything coming into play. Yeah. I, and, you know, I don't see. I don't see any hard. Oh, some some solid, easily you know, heavily bolded lines you can draw. Like, oh, this this really fits. Almost anything can work as a politico. I mean, anything. Um, but I think there's some interesting ones out there. Um, the idea of a face man who's an addict strikes me as awesome immediately i love that and you know whether it's addiction to substances or something else to that effect uh it's very archetypal you know yeah and how many times do you see the talker of the party get into get into debt problems you know oh yeah dude yeah i mean everything works and so happens all the time now when we get into duty it gets a little more specific. There, there's a lot of different duty options out there. The ones that really do, you can draw that strong line to the Politico specifically. Um, counterintelligence makes excellent sense. You know, these people make great spies for obvious reasons, um, as does intelligence. Okay. Um, I mean, counterintelligence and intelligence kind of go hand in hand, but one is more about one is the bad cop. It's demoralizing and deceiving the en- enemy, s- sowing false information. And then, of course, there's true spying through intelligence. Um, the other two that just scream out at me are are personnel and political support. I mean, recruitment and then g- and, and 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 galactic support are what a face character is made to do. I mean, made to do. But what about what about motivation, Dave? I mean, from motivation perspective, what motivates a character like this? Why do they do what they do? And is there something that that can easily be drawn? Or I mean, what what, what are we thinking on, on a motivation front? Dude, you know, again, I think the motivation for a character like this is probably as wide open as the obligation is, uh, but. I don't know. I, I I think more inward kind of um, motivations that are almost narcissistic in nature. Oh, for this e- e- expertise, that yeah. that that desire to be the best in the galaxy at something. That's right. Exactly. I mean, especially if you're playing that con man route. Oh, dude, um, that's that's epic. And if you're playing good cop. Uh, you know, in your Politico stylings, especially if you're in a rebel game, you know, and you're, and you're, you're, you're actually a, a rebel agent. I mean, obviously cause, you know, of, of freedom or the rebellion, uh, works extremely well, um, and, and could suit your, your roles there quite a bit. Oh yeah. But I don't know, man. So bottom line, I mean, a lot of these things are going to affect the primary enforcement of your mindset, your RP choices to Politico, but you know, Wrapping this all up, man, from a from a characterization perspective, we've talked about two potential paths you can go. And, you know, one is very, very hard-lined and coercive, and the other is, is a, little, a little nicer and a little more inspiring, you know? Um, yeah. 
I, I don't I don't know of a real good way you could mix the two of them without it being awful expensive. So well, yeah, and that, that's that's the thing too. It's it's there's not a whole lot of easy dipping that can occur. Maybe along the top of the tree, but ultimately, I mean, I think you know most players are going to get a lot of bang for their buck by really stick, sticking with one path over the other. Um, whereas with some of the other specs we talked about, there's dipping, there's mixing. You can you know go one route or the other. But I you know th- there's almost this real divisive line on the tree, and it's I, I think it's there rather intentionally. You know, are you a leader or are you an asset? <laughs> and both can be fun to play. It's just which which are you going to play? Righto. Yeah. I'm going asshat. <laughs> I know you are, Dave. <laughs> I know you are. Well, thank you for the excellent suggestion, uh, gentlemen. Um, we have a few things on the docket uh, coming up, and I'm not quite sure of our holiday schedule yet. Are you? Uh, I will be in town after Christmas. So if we've got a Sunday after Christmas that works, I'll be flying out Monday for my daughter's soccer tournament. So it'd have to be pretty much that Sunday after Christmas. Okay. That might be totally doable for me, guys. Um, But uh, either way, we're going to be probably about a three-week out um, as opposed to two weeks just because of the the nature of the holidays. But obviously, follow us on the Facebooks and Twitter. Um, We'll be posting up the new show announcement. And, of course, head to the forums at www.d20radio.com slash forums. Register, post your mind posting announcements there too um exciting things that we have coming up on the docket we've had a request that i've been wanting to get to for some time and have really been been waiting i think kind of for the new year to come around and that is a lengthy show topic discussion on how to convert older system players to the new system or a full episode devoted on on what pitfalls to avoid and strategies to employ to really teach that system to new players uh, in a more focused capacity. Um, you know, we've had obviously several more specializations in the docket as well, but we also have a planned episode coming up um, with some authorship support to talk specifically about the new live source book that is out now for your purchase uh, at your, what, FLGS? Not online retailer, FLGS, right? FLGS. <laughs> Which is, of course, Enter the Unknown, uh, the Explorer source book. Uh, so that's forthcoming as well. Um, gosh, what's left to say except wishing everyone happy holidays, yeah? Yes, a very merry, happy holiday season. Merry, merry Christmas, Mahana Kwanzaa to you all. Um, that's right, that's right. Boxing Day is a go. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Good night, Gamer Nation. This is Jim Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And keep them dice rolling. This podcast and related website are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, the Walt Disney Corporation, 20th Century Fox, or Fantasy Flight Games. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names, pictures, or references to any Star Wars vehicles, characters, or other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited, Fantasy Flight Games, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio, visual, or textual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast and the Gamer Nation LLC. Oh,
show. Remix that bed so I can get like a nice soft ending out of it. I just I just turned it down. I did. I had it down to minimum. That had down to one percent. I could not go lower. Oh my gosh, dude! Yeah, <laughs> yeah I need to remix it. Oh, so posto, dude. Exciting announcements and things on the forefronts. So yeah, there's the you know we talked about Gamer Nation Con earlier in the show, so we we probably don't need to revisit that as much. But I'm really excited about. Where the where the convention is potentially going in terms of, you know, Reaper has sent stuff, you know, for the paint and take. Paint so and that's, take. Yeah. I mean, yes. And just to clarify, that means ticket holders are going to be able to just sit down, get a free mini, and paint it with materials provided, and leave with it. I think that is awesome. Yeah, it's it's really freaking awesome, and. The um, the other thing that I'm really really stoked about is the fact that we've added Artemis. the The volunteer guys at uh, at Nerd Night are going to set up Artemis. And here's here's what even made it better is that uh, about four days ago, the Artemis Bridge Simulator popped up on the iOS App Store. So now you all you have to do is be in the same room with iPads, and bam, Artemis. I downloaded it already. Dude. Yeah. So go to the app store and pick up Artemis. We're going to have how it much, running. How much is it? Two ninety nine. Oh heck. And Bluetooth? Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it'll, you know, communicate with all the other iPads in the room. Oh. Yeah, and I think I, I think <sighs> that's gonna be the route that we're gonna go for the convention. It's just we're gonna put the we're gonna put the thing on a bunch of iPads. And, you know, your captain's got one, all the other bridge stations have one, and it's fantastic. We've got a little room set up with the paint and take where it's nice and quiet, and, you, and uh, you know, the captain can bark his orders and, and uh, be heard. So it's, uh, you know, it's going to be really great. I, I like it. I think we're going to set up pitch car for a little bit. We've got the Eons thing going. We've got, you know, obviously Jay is going to be there. We've got the, the proto thing happening now on Sunday. We've got some good games that are coming, and I'm just really excited. About all the stuff that's gonna that's gonna come down. We uh, we have the overflow room at the, um, you know, at the La Quinta. La Quinta. So, you guys at the hotel, if you don't want to brave the elements first thing in the morning or whatever, you can always sit down and play a game there at uh, at La Quinta. And we won't. I don't know that we'll have any real specific things that are scheduled there, but um, it will be available for open gaming from like 8 a.m. until 10 p.m. or something like that until they close the doors when the manager leaves or whatever. So. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's it's really really cool. So um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll figure we'll figure one way or another. But um, you know, it's I'm just I'm really really super excited. So yeah, Austin Katan, I'm I'm seeing you in the I'm see I haven't I haven't really gone through Artemis on an iPad, so I don't 
know if the Artemis 2.0 is, is like the first one or not. But, uh, oh, yeah, we'll have six iPads. There's no question about that. And if not, we'll have a, a giant 42-inch monitor and a bunch of computers daisy-chained together. So either way, <laughs> we'll make it work. The Nerd Night boys know what they're doing. They've yeah, got all, they've got all the setups done. We, they were so gracious to volunteer to do that. I, I think it's going to add a lot of fun, uh, cool event. So I am excited because I am finally getting to see uh, Christopher West's awesome, um, nearly complete uh, prototype art for the first three Eons expansions. And that's what I'm really excited about. Yes. <sighs> we are going to Kickstarter in what, early January? I'm I'm thinking that we are about six weeks away now, probably back half of January. But yeah, and man, I I am super excited because you, know, you and I both know this thing has been play testing extraordinarily well. Not only you know, not only do the new uh, cosmic bodies and the new advanced civilizations and spacefaring civilizations and and binary stars and all that, not only do they work with the theme. Not only do they give more options to the player, but the one thing that people have pointed at and, and said this is to take that, you know, it's like every other board game is not competitive. It actually minimizes the take that mechanic because you are focused on advancing your own civilization now to the point where you're blowing up your own stars to get the uranium because you have to have uranium to advance. Yeah, th that's the, the big benefit. So, like, the three expansions that are going to be released... <clears throat> in one set, obviously you can you can add them all or individually or or two or one or whatever into into the core game. There's there's cosmic bodies, okay, which is the the first of the overall set's going to be called cosmic expansion. Wink wink nudge nudge. Um, but the the first set is cosmic bodies, which introduces new cosmic bodies. Uh, we're we're bringing in uh orange uh orange uh, dwarfs. Uh, which are one of the star categories that are missing, and they're uh, a cool little star with a couple different uh, uh, formulaic differences to them. Uh, we're introducing in binary star systems, asteroid fields, uh, which I'm just wickedly cool about. Cool about, but that expansion is all about like just, just here's more, more, here's more, and like you point out though, the second set, which is which is cosmic technology is all about advancing life and civilization, which is something we never really envisioned, but we listened to our player base, and you guys were like, we really want this. So Yeah, there was, I, I can't tell you how many people said, we really want space-faring civilizations. Right? So, I mean, that's that's basically it, right? The advanced civilization card allows you to take life and civilization off a planet, put it on a spaceship, now it cannot be attacked or destroyed by another player. And it's it's very expensive to get there. Um, there's colonization, which lets you basically link planets together for shared benefits. A few other things too. Um, the third expansion is one that is tricksy, and it is designed for the players who want a more hardcore experience. The expansion is called Cosmic Destruction. First and foremost, it introduces the brown dwarf into the game. Um, as well as uh, new black holes uh, and red supergiants, which obviously turn into black holes automatically when they die, um, as they do in the universe. But the whole point of this third set is to really limit and restrict the resource stockpile and the element economy that's in play to make the game a lot more strategically challenging and difficult for all players involved. 
Um, yeah. And it's uh, it, it adds a new dimension uh, uh, for the experienced players that are out there. But we're we're really excited about this, guys. And you, you all helped us bring Eons to fruition, and we've seen such tremendous success with it. Um, uh, you know, since its release at Gen Con. So we're excited to to get these expansions out there to really enhance that play experience for everyone. And yeah. dude, we got an, we got an interview coming up. Uh, what? Uh, I think I think we're recording Wednesday. Uh, yeah. Was it Cardboard Republic? Is yeah, that who with, the card, with yeah. Cardboard Republic. Um, we'll be yeah. laying the skinny on them too. They have uh, chosen Eons as their featured game of the month for December, and we're in pretty good company because they're you know they're featuring new games that did well on Kickstarter, and so we are right on the heels of Compounded, which did monumentally well through Kickstarter. And uh, and so those guys are, are have been uh, sending us a little interview pre preview questions and yeah we're gonna talk to them on Wednesday I can't wait dude I you know I I gotta take I gotta step back to the third expansion set that rogue black hole <laughs> I I mean it it is the highest victory point uh, uh, card now in the game uh, worth six victory points. And it's relatively easy to get, I mean, as far as black holes go, three, three essence and one uranium. However, you have to feed it. <laughs> this yeah. is the best part. Is that you have to destroy an element cube out of your own resource pool to keep it in play. And destroy, like take it out of the game. If you don't feed it, you lose the six victory points. Yeah. I, 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 I just, I, I, Ah, I just I love it. I just love it. It it it's um the other thing too is we found that the the cosmic destruction expansion really increases the speed of the game. It will end much faster. Because when you have that kind of resource restriction, you have so much cosmic death happening so frequently, it, it, it pushes the game along rather heavily. Um so uh pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, my favorite for that one is brown dwarfs. Actually, I think that's a, a phenomenal mechanic we worked at trying to actually mirror the way they work, which are you know stars that never quite were stars. You know what I mean? So they're element storehouses, but they don't actually perform fusion. Um, yeah. So they they serve basically not to destroy elements, but to keep them out of play for several turns, and that's a, a really interesting mechanic for the game. So yeah. Yeah, and then they just die, and that brings the entropy. You're going to find also the entropy counter. Believe it or not, the entropy counter actually moves a little faster now, so the yep. game actually ends earlier. Yep. It's, it's, it doesn't, it's this expansion doesn't make the game go any longer. In fact, it cuts the game down. We, we've done what well, we've been averaging what thirty to forty-five minutes on our playtest now. Uh, yeah. Um, if we work in the first two, our average game has been out forty-five minutes. Uh, you throw in the third expansion, it's like thirty to forty-five easily. Yeah. Um, I mean, just, they've been three-player. They've been pretty much three players the whole time. I think we did a four player once, but mm -hmm. you know, I mean, considering the game was was ninety minutes easy, you know, when we were playing earlier, we hadn't gone an hour, I think, in a single yeah. one of these. So, yeah. it's uh, it it really is, you know, more compressed gameplay start to finish, and I'm really excited about it. So, you guys start looking for that. That yes. uh, we're going to get it out to some review sites, and uh, those of you local. Uh, we are going to have public playtesting events starting right after Christmas at Madness. Oh, we'll have the prototypes in. I'm so excited. So, yay. yay. Yes. <sighs> All right, you got anything else? No, dude, I think I'm 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 pretty much I'm um yeah. I'm pretty <laughs> much done. Well, good because it's late. 
and bed calleth me. All right. Go. Good night, Gamer Nation. And good luck.